Good morning. I really do feel like uh, the host of Saturday Night Live. I don't know if any, anybody here watches that show still, but the host each week runs out onto the stage with his big grin on his face or her face and announces to the audience the same thing. They do it the same way every week. The host says something like, it's great to be in New York, and it's great to be hosting Saturday Night Live. And I feel the same way. It's great to be in Somerville, and it's great to be back in St. Paul's. It, it really is great. So they've asked the new guy to do the last uh, sermon in a ser- series of six sermons this week on weird and revolutionary generosity. And I have good news from the beginning. God does not want or need our money. God does not want or need our money. I mean, think about it. Really? The king of the universe? Um, as Psalm 89 says, uh, verse 11 The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. So he really, really doesn't need our money. It also reminds me of a silly alpha joke that I used to tell. A scientist in heaven comes to the Lord and says, Lord, we've done it. We've we've figured out how to create life from nothing. And as a grin begins to creep across our Lord's face, he says, really? Show me. So the scientist bends down to earth and grabs a few handfuls of soil and begins to pack them together, and that's when God interrupts him and says, nope, nope, get your own dirt. (laughs) God made everything. He doesn't need our money. Humans, on the other hand, um, never seem to be able to get enough of anything, especially money. We've got shows on TV now. I'm sure you've seen them. Pickers, Hoarders, Pawn Stars. Do we really need more television shows about people collecting junk or stuff and storing it? I I don't think we do. Jesus knew that we were born with needs. Um, He often asks people, as the Bible records, what do you need, or what do you want, or what can I do for you? And it seems also that he connected very quickly with people in the Bible or in Scripture who confessed their need. Um, On the contrary, it seems like those folks that didn't know they had a need or didn't want what Jesus was offering left him um, rejected and hurt. Last week before I came, the Pittsburgh Trib, which is our post and courier, ran an article. It was a little funny, but it was a little disturbing. The article was about well-educated consumers. Well-educated consumers, all in quotes. And what the Bible, I mean what the Bible, what the Trib was talking about uh, was not people who had gone to Harvard or Oxford or Yale. Um, It was people who over time had been molded by our consumeristic society to be good consumers. In other words, they were consumed by consuming. They had actually gotten to the graduate level or the PhD level of consuming, if you will. And it speaks to a problem I think we all have. And you may be sitting there going, oh, no, no, I I don't have that problem. Well, speaking for me, I think if you looked at my house or in my car or even in my checkbook, uh, you might say otherwise. I mean, how many cowboy boots do I need? Um, I've been in a church on the south side in Pittsburgh, and we're prone to, in our sermons and messages, using things from culture. So I will use a couple of illustrations from culture. The first one that speaks to this uh, voracious appetite we have for consuming comes from one of my favorite movies and one of our family's favorite movies, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the Dr. Seuss movie that Jim Carrey plays. He's dressed in green in a green costume. Um, there's one scene where he's in the middle of Whoville. He's in the town square of Whoville, and um, he's, he's railing about what Christmas really is. 
and he says to the town and the mayor and everybody that gathers, he says, gifts, gifts, gifts. Do you know what happens to last year's gifts? They end up at the dump, which is at the top of Mount Crumpet, which is where he lives. Last year's gifts end up in the dump. And he says, humorously, I could, I could hang myself with all of last year's neckties. And the, the town of Whoville is kind of left wondering. Um, it, it speaks, however, to a deeper truth in our lives um, that what we get on this earth and what we want to have on this earth can only provide something that's uh, not eternal. It's on the contrary. It's fleeting and it's useless. So one last point about money that I read in a commentary this week that I, really struck me and I wanted to make sure everyone heard it. Um, the point the commentator made was that rich and poor alike worry about money. That's interesting, isn't it? We don't think about that. But rich people and poor people are both worrying about money for different reasons. The commentator's point was that it's a sure indicator, this anxiety or worry, that money cannot cast out anxiety. So the gospel this morning that John just read is asking a question. The question it's asking is, would you prefer to be sustained by anxiety or would you prefer to be sustained by God? And we've all heard from the pulpit uh, Paul's words as he quotes Jesus in Acts 21, it's better to give than receive. Um, why then do we like to receive so much? Why do we like to get so much? I mean, my love language is gift giving. Give me something, I mean, anything. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is, is not gift giving. It's acts of service, which is still a form of giving. It's actually harder than going to the mall and buying or something. She wants me to rake the yard or wash the car or whatever. But it's still, it's still getting, it's still getting. And let me say this, and maybe the most important thing I say, Jesus did not go to the cross in order that we'd obtain material wealth. Material wealth's not bad, but it's definitely not the point. Few people would die for material wealth. Jesus did, however, want to give us something eternal. He wanted to give us eternal life. And he wants to give us that because it has eternal value. And he wanted to prove to everyone there and to us today that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of Man. He was God in the flesh. John 15, 13 says, No greater love than this can someone show than to lay down his life for others, which is exactly what he demonstrates on the cross. The Caputos did something in a dramatic way this morning. I have never thought of it this way, but as I was preparing, it came to me. The Holy Spirit led me to say this. What they did this morning was give their son Oliver the most precious gift they have, one of four precious gifts, they gave that precious gift, Oliver, back to God and to our community. Have you ever thought of baptism that way? What the Caputos are saying is, he's not ours alone. He is a gift from God. Likewise, baptism is a gift from God. It was fully demonstrated by Jesus when he submitted to John's baptism in the Jordan. Jesus, of course, didn't need to be baptized. He was sinless. So why did he do it? Well, he did it to show us his solidarity with us, to show us that we are not alone. I don't know if many of you have seen the movie uh, by M. Night Shyamalan, Signs. And in that movie, Signs, Mel Gibson plays a disenfranchised Lutheran minister, and rightly so. He's lost his wife in the movie to a weird accident. And so he's a Lutheran pastor who's given up his collar, and there's an alien invasion occurring. And his brother, who is not a believer, moves into his house to help protect his house. So you've got this pastor whose faith is 
waning in the movie while you have this brother who was faithless at first starting to gain faith. And Mel Gibson, in one scene, as a, as a pastor on the way out, if you will, looks at his brother when it's just the two of them alone on the couch and says, you know, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who see supernatural events, who see uh, things that amaze them and marvel them and say, huh, what a coincidence. And then there's other people who, when they see those same supernatural events or those same coincidences, look at them and say, nope, there's God. We are not alone. I have hope. The gospel says it, and I trust it. And if we look at verses 30, 32, and 33 from, this, from our gospel reading this morning, which you don't have to put up, Carrie, they all speak to God's provision in our life. Jesus is asking rhetorical questions. You know, what will I eat? What will I wear? Where will I live? And he says, God will provide those things. He promises. I used to use that word promise a lot. Uh, one time after an Alpha talk, Mike came up to me and said, you know, Gary, you might want to consider taking that word promise out of your vocabulary. It's a really big word. It's a covenant word, and it's a word probably reserved only for our Lord. And I know that because it's always amazing to each one of us when somebody keeps a promise. It's such a miraculous thing. Oh, my gosh, you know, we were able to do it. So it happens occasionally. And I, I was convicted. I said, you know what, Mike, you're exactly right. I, I promise I won't do that again. I, I would love to tell you that I've, I've not done that, but I have uh, gotten very aware of the fact that I am not the promise keeper. God, in fact, is the promise keeper. He is the one alone who can keep his covenant faithfulness to us. Um, God keeps his promises, but he does more. He is faithful to us through Jesus and through Jesus' work on the cross, which allows us to be faithful. Let me get to my notes. Excuse me. I haven't done this in a while, so I'm a little discombobulated. So with God's covenant faithfulness in mind to all of us, I want to read this last part. I, I'm working hard. I've been working hard at seminary getting better at giving sermons so that I didn't have to read line by line. But as I was preparing this week, I just couldn't bring myself uh, not to read these last few things because I think they're the, they're the summit, they're the apex of the sermon. Um, the gospel this morning in verse 24 reads, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Matthew 6, 24. We are people, we are people created for devotion. Our hearts are devotion seekers. Before the fall, we were solely devoted to our Creator. But since then, we've had the opportunity to devote ourselves to all kinds of things that don't bring life. God says, be devoted to me first. God says, be devoted to me first, and other things in your life will then have the proper place, as baptism demonstrates this morning. Be devoted to me first and your family, your marriage, your children, your job, your money, all the gifts that God has given us will be in their ordered place. Jesus says from the cross, I love you. Do you love me? Give me your heart. When our hearts are his, so is our money. Or I should say, so is his money. This gospel passage is not about espousing reckless living. On the contrary, it offers one of the most challenging ways to live ever imagined. I listened to several of St. Paul's taped 
uh, generosity testimonies before this sermon. They were, they're on the internet, I think, by now. If you can watch them, there's six of them, I believe. They're all very good. But they all speak to the same point, and they speak to the point that Scripture is making over and over and over again. That point is that God is not interested in improving you or taking you and making you less sinless. Nope. He's interested in your complete transformation. He's interested in a new Gary, a new Oliver, a new Mike, a new John, a new Tyler. And he's interested in doing that through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we heard those words during baptism, that this child was sealed as Christ's own forever, he's being given back to God, if you will. It's a beautiful image. But more importantly, it's the truth. God is with us. We're not alone. God wants to change us. And once we allow that to happen by surrendering to his love, we begin a new life that Scripture says promises, by the way, full of weird and revolutionary habits. Listen to what St. Paul says about the generosity of a church in Macedonia. Paul writes, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So they gave more than he was asking for. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Reminds me of the tea room, everybody that wants to be a part of that. And this, not as we expected, Paul's saying, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Gave themselves first to the Lord, then to the ministry. So generosity, weird and revolutionary, generosity comes first by giving ourselves to the Lord, then to one another. Giving ourselves first to the Lord, then to one another. It's not something we do naturally. So I want to conclude by pointing out one benefit of giving. And it's not so that we get something in return. That's really not true giving, is it? Rather, it is that we can participate in God's kingdom here and now. You see, God's kingdom and his righteousness go hand in hand. So impacting the world, living weird revolutionary lives are something that God can accomplish if we're willing to submit to his call in our lives to repent, be forgiven, and receive his spirit. He doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. He doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. If you haven't given him your heart, change that today. Or if you've given him your heart but you're dry in your life right now, recommit your heart to him today. And you can do that during communion. You can do that at a prayer station or you can do that by talking to one of the clergy afterwards. Joshua 24, 15 says, and I'm going to read it loud for emphasis, choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve. We are not alone. Pray with me. Lord, may we all receive the gift of a new life in Christ, some for the first time, some again. And may we allow that gift to change us into generous people, weird people who love to give, just as the Father in heaven desires to give us every good gift and has in his Son, Jesus. Amen.